0: Around half of all New Zealanders will suffer a mental illness at some point in their lives, and the country's suicide rate is remaining at a constant level. There has been a 50% increase in access to specialist mental health services in the 10 years to 2011. But this Radio New Zealand insight asks, has that gone far enough? And a warning, this programme includes discussion of suicide.
1: People put off going to see their GP when they're feeling, when they're sad, because it's like, I'm I'm really sad, but my GP, you know, you don't assume that your GP knows anything about mental health. Yes, there are free counselling services, but sometimes... Taking that first step and asking for help is the hardest thing in the world.
2: This young woman, who we'll call Grace, is one of the 47% of New Zealanders who'll suffer from a mental illness in their lifetime. About one in five New Zealanders are likely to be affected in any given year with high prevalences of anxiety, mood and substance abuse disorders. He's
3: just one of those friends that you stay with them for life. You can bank on him being there.
2: Public health campaigns have gone some way to reducing the stigma around mental illness, but the suicide rate remains higher than the road toll, around 500 people a year, and some people still can't access mental health care. I'm Megan Whelan, and this Insight considers access to mental health services and how health professionals are trying to get help to where it's needed. This is
4: Ateahau which is the inpatient facility here at Middlemore Hospital at Counties. It was built in the 1990s after the closure of Kingseat Hospital, so we went through a, a period where we closed down the institutions. Kingseat was closed. Uh, we moved to community clinics, but we still needed an inpatient facility.
2: Clinical director of mental health services at Counties Monaco Health, Dr. Peter Watson, explains the history of Middlemore Hospital's inpatient facilities. He says the DHB provides services to the people with the most severe and enduring mental health problems. The DHB has a wide range of services from maternal through to older patients and from specialist acute care to support services in the community. Dr Watson says getting the right services to the right people at the right time and place can be a challenge.
4: I think we have a really broad range of services actually but what sometimes we don't do is necessarily the people we need to be seeing. So I think sometimes that's about access to services, like when can, how do people know when they need help? How do they know where to get help? How do their families and friends help support them get help when they need to? We're really keen to see how mental health services also can work alongside GPS school guidance counselors social workers etc to help those people recognize people with mental health conditions who can then get them into services when they need it
2: Peter Watson says decisions are based on the severity of the illness while people who are a risk to themselves or others are seen as inpatients a lot of treatment is kept in the community
4: yeah so that's the that's the facility actually um, it's pretty cramped and And uh, we're a bit short on uh, bed space um, here at at this point, but that's because the South Auckland population is growing so much. Dr
2: Watson says as well as good clinical skills, staff need to be able to care for Counties Manukau's diverse population. Kirsten Smith is the manager at Evolve Youth Health Service, which is a so-called one-stop shop for 15- to 25-year-olds in Wellington. She says for her clients, the ability to be able to communicate in a way that's comfortable for younger people is vital. These spectacular
5: curtains, which we just think are cool. Those are great. You know, we met, like, Minnie Mouse, um and like she says that.
2: when the service started, it was predominantly focused on sexual health, but now mental health has outstripped that. Around 60% of what they do is mental health related. There
5: has been a lot in the media and in schools and in, um, in terms of health promotion and things for young people. We're getting better at identifying when people need help and... Young people are getting better at helping each other, which is awesome. You know, the likes of the Ku and stuff, that has had an impact. I think not just for young people, but for people in general. And so, I mean, the numbers of parents that would contact us, for example, and say, "Look, I think um, my teenager might be depressed, or you know, and what should I do?" That kind of thing. So we're getting much better at identifying that and um, and asking for help.
2: Kirsten Smith says while specialist assistance is there, it can be hard to find.
5: It can be really hard for some young people to, especially if they haven't got an advocate, kind of pushing for and with them like they would have here. So if you've got a young person out in the community who um, is... Uh, suicidal and who doesn't have that kind of person there that's pushing for them. And so they might get told, yep, you bring the emergency, you know, the CAT team, that sort of thing. If they don't know how to work that system and how to say the right words to trigger, then it's very likely that because those services are so stretched themselves, that they may not get that support that they need, which is, you know, it's heartbreaking sometimes.
2: Last month, Wellington's coroner criticised the region's mental health services in a finding over a suicide in 2011. The coroner, Ian Smith, said the myriad of mental health units in the region was difficult to understand. Capital and Coast DHB's Clinical Director for Mental Health, Addictions and Intellectual Disability, Dr Alison Masters, says the system is both simple and complex at the same time. She says Capital and Coast is a large provider, both regionally and nationally, and has worked hard to have a continuum of care. The DHB has a number of respite or recovery houses and a 24-hour contact line to Hiker, which ideally should take all referrals into the mental
6: health system. Perhaps what we don't do well is where's the point of access? How do I get in the door? I think it's a good question. I mean, we've had a recent review that's highlighted that for... For the wide range of sort of um, smaller minority communities across Wellington, how do they know how do, which door to go in? Um, so I think that's a place where there needs to be, you know, a lot of, not a lot of work, there needs to be focused work, put it that way. Dr Masters says
2: to high care clinicians should be that point of access, but there will always be times when the services are overwhelmed by demand. For Grace, that meant waiting for several weeks after she first found herself in crisis.
1: I ended up hooking up with a woman who was able to see me as sort of for 15 minutes once a week, and that sort of ended up being more torturous than anything else because you would go and see her, you'd talk to her for 15 minutes, you'd pour your entire soul out, um, and then you kind of get kicked out and said, well that's it. See you next week. And it's like, oh, cool. So now I have to go through this other week of feeling like I actually just want to kill myself. Um, And so for sort of that month between December and January and a little bit of February, I was quite often in hospital at the emergency room. um, And the nurses got to know me quite well because It was the place I could go where I knew that I wouldn't necessarily get help, but I wouldn't be able to kill myself.
2: Capital and Coast DHB's Alison Masters says while there's an idea that suicide is driven by a failure of services, it's more complicated than that. She says in the Wellington region there are about 50 suicides a year and of those somewhere between 8 and 15 are current or very recent clients of the mental health system, usually the crisis team.
6: The services in themselves aren't, in the inverted commas, responsible for much of it, but I think you're right, it's like where do people go to access who are feeling so desperate? Where's the net that begins first for people who are distressed? In 2012, the Ministry
2: of Health published a five-year plan for mental health services rising to the challenge. It outlines significant growth in services on offer, but says that's variable around the country. It also says that Māori continue to experience mental health and addiction issues, inpatient admissions, and the treatment option of seclusion more frequently than other groups. New Zealand also has one of the highest rates of youth suicide in the developed world, variation in access to services, especially for children and young people, and variable waiting times. The Ministry's Director of Mental Health Services, Dr John Crawshaw, says it's always challenging to get resources in the right space.
7: While well, it's not a term which I've coined. A colleague of mine said it's about easy in, easy out and easy back again. So that essentially what we're doing is removing the barriers uh, that might Uh, delay or prevent access uh, removing the necessary preconditions and and as I've said to a number of people I'm particularly interested in working out how do we assist people to transition to the right part within the service and it may not be um, our public run services it may be an NGO run service or it may indeed be some other assistance within the community. I think that If we have to be very careful about not medicalising distress so that uh, we want to put labels on people, we should actually be thinking about what can we do to assist someone, not just manage this particular example of stress or distress in their life, but how do they learn the skills so that they can cope better uh, when the next um, uh, problem strikes them.
2: Dr Crawshaw says access rates to specialist mental health services for all young people in New Zealand have gone up 1.5% in the 10 years to 2013, which he says is a remarkable achievement and means treatment for thousands more people. He says the current version of the Suicide Action Plan has a particular focus on Māori and Pacifica communities and he's encouraged by what he's already seeing. In 2011, the total Māori suicide rate was 1.8 times higher than that of non-Māori. The Māori youth suicide rate was 2.4 times higher and there were 24 suicide deaths amongst Pacific people. As part of efforts to turn that figure around, earlier this year the government launched Waka Haurua, a national suicide prevention programme for Māori and Pacific communities.
6: Te Matatini CEO's office, Priscilla speaking, how can I help
2: you? It's a partnership between the Maori health workforce organisation Te Rau Matatini and its specific counterpart, Levar, and includes a $2 million fund for communities to design their own initiatives. Te Raumata Tine's Mapihi Rahuruhi says there are primary care and marae-based clinics that are working now and the idea is to build on that and to make it work on the ground. Somebody has to
8: start the conversation, the kōrero, but we have to create those safe spaces to be able to do that. Mm. So one of the things that we're hoping to move the communities on is how do we do that? Mm. And it's not for us to say, this is how you do it. Mm. It's It's for us to say, okay, tell us how we can support you to do that.
2: The organisation's Dr Kahu McClintock says there will always be people who need specialist assistance.
8: They want to know that they can go into a building, into a whare, a clinic, and know that they're in Aotearoa, so there's images there, there are people there that address them as Māori, and they also know that they want to say in that. So whatever assessment plan or whatever treatment plan, because they have knowledge too and have knowledge about their rangatahi, they want to be able to share that with them and have a say in what then they can do.
2: The director of Massey University's Te Mata o Te To Academy for Māori Research and Scholarship, Dr Tekani Kingi, says disproportionate numbers of Māori suffer from mental ill health, but little is known about why.
3: First investigation Māori, into Māori mental health was conducted in the 1930s and that was designed to find out why the rates were so low. So we're not biologically predisposed to mental ill health. It's a reflection of our contemporary environment um, and historically speaking there was very little evidence of any suicidal behaviour and it was literally unknown probably to the mid-1980s I think the rates were reasonably low for Māori and have just spiked.
2: He says Māori tend to access care late when the illness is more difficult to treat and the prognosis isn't as
3: good. Often through the police it's not a good way to access a mental health service for the first time but again that's a small example and, and reflects on the fact that some people don't engage services early enough. Do we know why? Oftentimes, uh, people may not recognise the the symptoms and signs. Um, Sometimes people think, um, you know, they should just harden up. Sometimes they're told they should just harden up. Uh, For some people, there's still a fear of going to um, any type of of medical practitioner. And I think a major issue, too, really is the stigma which is attached to um, mental
9: ill health. One day I was happy-go-lucky JK. The next morning I got up, looked in the mirror, and there was this guy I didn't like looking back.
2: The Like Minds Like Mind campaign has been hailed as a positive step towards reducing the stigma around mental health issues. But is it having an effect on the suicide rate? The chief coroner, Judge Neil McLean, says the suicide rate is a stubborn statistic.
9: You compare it with the road toll, road fatality rate, which is coming down dramatically through a whole host of things. You can't say which any particular one it is factor. Uh, And the fact that the suicide number stays uncannily around 540, something like that, per year.
2: Coroners and the Ministry of Health gather data on suicides in different ways, and the Ministry of Health's latest figures show 480 deaths by suicide in 2011. Dr John Crawshaw says that's still too many. He says in order for that number to really start to shift, there needs to be a combined response. The government can do only so much. He says that means a whole host of initiatives, from the Like Minds campaign to the National Depression Initiative, lifting access to specialist mental health services, community support and things that don't look like public health.
7: We know that one of the factors that will affect people in later life in terms of uh, increased risk of depression and suicide is poor education. So there's a number of initiatives which, when you put them together, are likely to have a significant impact. But... As I say, some of that has to also mean that the community uh, have to be engaged and in uh, working with that. So some of the initiatives which uh, has occurred when there have been suicide um, clusters where the community has come together to uh, look at the particular issues in their their community and start to resolve it um, are the sorts of things that need to happen more often.
2: The co-founder and CEO of the suicide prevention organisation, CASPER, Maria Bradshaw, believes the suicide rate isn't going down because everything that's being done has been tried before. She says there's a raft of policies based on the erroneous belief that suicide is caused by mental illness. I'm a mother who found her only child dead from a self-inflicted death.
0: How you recover and carry on from that is beyond most people's comprehension. The key to that is not making your life perfect or bringing back what you've lost, whether it's a dead child or a relationship. It's about developing a sense that you have some control over your environment. So yes, there are lots of people out there who need more than the community setting up groups that they can belong to, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's medical intervention that they need. For too long, we have handed vulnerable people over to a system that,
2: is unable to cope, doesn't actually know what it's doing. Maria Bradshaw argues that suicide is often not due to illness, but what she says as the increasing isolation of different groups in society.
0: There are groups in society who never turn on the TV or listen to the radio or open the newspaper and hear anything positive about themselves, single parents prisoners, young people, tend to hear about what a drain and a burden they are on the community. We know that relationship breakups attack people's sense of belonging and being important and and being valued. So teaching people how to navigate relationship breakups, making sure that people have jobs, that they have the opportunity to socialise with others, that they're not isolated and marginalised. Those things have all been shown in research to be really effective in very rapidly reducing suicide
2: rates. She says the key is to get people help before they're in crisis. But the Chief Coroner, Judge McLean, says while it's too early to say, there's a suggestion that the suicide rate might be dropping.
9: For example, uh, last month to February was the lowest monthly figure for suicide in the seven years we've been keeping records. And for Christchurch, Canterbury... It was two, which again is the lowest for ages. Now, you've got to be careful because one month doesn't um, make for a trend, but there are some indications that it is at last starting to come down. But I could be proved wrong next week.
2: Judge McLean says a huge amount of work is going into what's called suicide postvention, where experts work with the community following a suicide, particularly a youth suicide. He says communities can go into a flat spin because they don't know how to deal with it. Judge McLean says there's still a lot of misinformation about what he calls the phenomenon of suicide.
9: But of course, the problem is that people often, when you ask a community group, who do you think is most at risk at suicide, they'll tend to say, oh, well, young people or Maori or, uh, you know, the sort of logical things. And I say, no, it's not actually and it's interesting to talk to, say, a rotary group of men of, you know, my age and younger, and say, who do you think's the most at-risk demographic? And they all, and I say, no, it's actually you blokes. You blokes between 45 and 65, you know. And, you know, the fact is suicide runs from 88 to Mm 8. It's across the age spectrum. It's not black, it's not white, it's not brown, it's not rich, it's not poor.
2: Part of that misinformation around suicide is due to confusion about media restrictions on reporting it.
9: Tributes are flowing tonight for troubled celebrity
4: Charlotte Dawson who took her own life yesterday.
2: Just hours before she took her own life, Dawson appeared on Channel 9 to debate... While the recent death of celebrity Charlotte Dawson didn't happen in New Zealand's jurisdiction, Judge McLean was disappointed by the rush to label her death. The Law Commission has been reviewing the rules in this country which limit reporting details of individual deaths and discourage too much focus on suicides. Its report should go to the Minister, Judith Collins, in the next week. Judge McLean says part of his job is to educate the public and invitations to come and talk are pouring in.
9: From professional groups, from uh, PHOs, from clinicians, but basically from community organisations and Maori groups who say... Please, could you come and talk to us about what is the what are the real facts about suicide, and then particularly with Maori, what can we do to help? And there's been a huge response. I mean, I, I'm most impressed with the way that senior Maori community leaders have actually fronted up and said we're appalled by this. Uh, we're not doing certain things right. Can you give us the advice? And I say, well, I can't give you the advice. I'm not a suicide prevention expert, but I can, I can be the catalyst for it to get a discussion going about it.
2: The Chief Executive of the Mental Health Foundation, Judy Clements, says that discussion is vital. She says New Zealand led the way with the Like Minds, Like Mind campaign, but there's much more work still to do. Judy Clements says the more that people can access support
8: in the community they're part of, the better and I mean that whether it's in town or or in rural areas, easily accessible and so that people don't have to go to some place that might be quite off-putting, might be quite formidable, really, but to to go to somewhere where it feels homely, comfortable, they can get that human interaction and contact and feeling that, yes, they are going to be cared for and cared about. She says services exist, but there are still questions over whether they're what people need and whether people can easily get information about where to go. I don't even think we're halfway through. We're still having people into acute care, into wards. There is still seclusion going on as a practice, which we want to see eliminated. And I know DHPs are working to eliminate it. I say, get, yeah, let's, let's all work faster to get rid of the the old practices that aren't helpful. We've still got people going into emergency department in a state of distress and actually not getting a great reception or not getting much help. We still have people ringing us up saying, what do I do? My friend's desperate and she can't seem to get any help, or someone saying, I, I, went, I went to my GP and I ended up on a, on a waiting list for the community mental health support team. We, we haven't got it right. We, we're moving, but we need to move faster.
2: Judy Clements says there needs to be a move away from the idea of treatment and towards more positive mental health lessons. She says while people in crisis obviously need help, the healthcare system should be far more outward-looking and available in the community. She cites social media and technology as an obvious way to achieve some of those goals. One organisation attempting to do that is Lifehack. It's a project being run in collaboration with the Ministry of Social Development that works on using technology to improve young people's well-being. One of the group's members, Chelsea Robinson, says they run events around the country working with young people who will eventually work with clinicians and other collaborators.
5: We worked with a young woman called Bridie um, who has been inspired to um, explore the opportunities. She's a Cantabrian young woman exploring the opportunity of how we can help young men engage in their emotions um, more and and access that more confidently. So she's looking at building a music app which helps people share how they're feeling through their music.
2: Another involved in life Hack, Sam Rye, says the response they've got from young people is that they want to connect through technology, which might not be the latest smartphone, but even making connections using the phone booth in downtown Greymouth. He cites a statistic from a recent conference in Australia that indicates that 70% of young men aren't accessing services even when they need them, which he says highlights a disconnect with what's on offer.
3: The technology itself is not the, the cause of these problems. Technology is an enabler for good and bad. So it's really about the content that we're putting into it and that speaks to the role of the conversation around mental health and wellbeing in, in New Zealand and how we're understanding how we're using technology uh, and what we're using it for.
2: One suggestion is that services in both primary and specialist care could use that technology to reach out to patients. A morning text message asking how they are for example. But Dr Alison Masters says that level of support needs to be backed up with more substantial services in case of need or there's a risk of an individual being let
6: down again because often somebody wants connection don't they they want to go somewhere and someone goes wow you're not feeling so good and that doesn't take a psychiatrist to do that you know that takes friends families going "Hmm, that person's not good you know all of us understand what's the difference between someone having a bad few days or looking like they're really getting into trouble now and not being afraid to ask them how are you what's going on do you want some help do you want me to help you find someone to go talk to and would it make your job easier if more people did that I think early intervention, yep, getting in early before things unravel further and further.
2: The Ministry of Health's Dr John Crawshaw, says part of the battle is giving people permission to look after their mental health and well-being.
7: We tend often to talk as if um, it's something which is a deficit, that uh, we make the comparison of uh, mental ill health and call that mental health. Whereas, in fact, there is a real flourishing aspect of mental health and well-being when someone has the internal resources to cope with life's vicissitudes, to cope with what actually makes us human, the fact that we have relationships, and relationships sometimes go bad. Uh, to actually uh, think about the connectedness that we have with each other, to think about being perhaps easier and uh, kinder to each other so that each of us benefit from it. There's a number of aspects in terms of what's now called positive psychology which I think can benefit a lot of people. Counties
2: Monaco's Dr Peter Watson says health professionals have some way to go to ensure people can access services and then get back to community or whānau. He says while much work has been done, more is still needed on recognising the importance of mental health and mental illness.
4: Do we really want to go there? Because if we find out, what would we do? So people need to feel comfortable recognising it, assessing it, and then what to do about it. And I think probably we've got a lot more to do in terms of helping people feel comfortable inquiring about it and then ensuring that they know what to do if they recognise that someone is distressed or needing some help with their mental health.
2: The causes of mental health issues are varied. Education, socioeconomic status, trauma and biology all play a part and are not something any one service can address. What most of those involved can agree on is that what's needed are more services working together and a better understanding of mental health. I'm Megan Whelan and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philip Tolley with technical production by Chris Keo.